morning. Good to be back. I know you guys are probably thinking, wow, did he get tan. I know, I know, it's my nature. Anyway, uh, we are still in the book of First and Second Corinthians in our Address the Mess series, and I'm going to try to give you a brief recap, as brief as possible. Uh, First and Second Corinthians are two letters that Paul wrote to a church that he helped establish in Corinth. Uh, he established that church about four or five years before he wrote these letters. And when he left, he thought the church was ready to stand on its own two feet. I mean, he gave them the instruction they needed and the direction they needed. Uh, but come to find out, four or five years later, despite all of his best efforts, it just all went south. Things started going crazy, and they started becoming really carnal and immature and sexually immoral and self-righteous and religious, you name it. And so he knew he had to do something, so he decided to write these letters to the leaders to try to get the leaders snapped back into focus. Uh, and to get all the people that they were leading more focused and back on track to be godly. So um, that's why he wrote these letters. Now that's as quick as I can catch you up. So today, we've been talking about all these different problems he's been dealing with throughout in chapters 1 through 10. Uh, we've seen so many issues he's had to deal with. You can tell what a mess this church was. Uh, but today, Paul's going to be discussing a specific version of something called creation authority. How many people have heard of creation authority? Raise your hand. Okay, well, if you haven't, you're about to. So creation authority is just the order and structure God introduced to humanity in creation. And it's kind of based off of Genesis 2, 18 through 24, just a synopsis here. Uh, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Uh, I will make for him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whoever the man called the living creature, that was its name. <laughs> Little did he know, after God made woman, that was the last decision he'd ever get to make. Anyway, um, verse 20. Uh, the man <laughs> gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Uh, then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to, to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother, and the two should be joined, uh, and be joined to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. So that's kind of creation authority when God set up the authority in creation. Now, uh, the structure today, the creation authority, he's gonna, the version he's going to be talking about is dealing more with creation authority in public worship how God designed us to behave as believers in public worship. So what was happening was Paul was just reminding the Corinthians that uh, people are watching you. You know, people are watching everything you do. All believers are being watched. They want to see if you actually live what you profess. And he was warning them that. He was saying how you behave, especially when you're in public worship, is very important. You have to make sure that you're doing what God asks you to do. So believers need to make sure that the way they behave doesn't dishonor God. Right? So I titled today's message, Order and Creation Authority. So let's start off in 1 Corinthians 11, 2. And he says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teaching I passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. Michelle, you want to come up and read that? I'm just kidding. No. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Um... Now, one of the biggest problems the Corinthian church had, which is obvious, was that they had just, they had lost their direction. They were lost. They'd become so much like the world that they'd forgotten God's divine order and his structure that he'd given to us. Because, listen, regardless of the culture or the time frame or era, 
without order and structure, there is chaos. And if you look throughout history, no matter what, what society you study, that proves to be true. And 1 Corinthians, when we went from chapters 1 through 10, it made it pretty obvious that the Corinthian church was in utter chaos. They were in complete chaos. They even had people who were having affairs with their stepmothers. So, I mean, it was a mess. If you look, the families they had, the church, uh, the general spiritual mindset, all that in Corinth was a mess when Paul got there and he had to try to fix it. And when I read this, that sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? I mean, it's starting to get pretty messy in our country too, but that's what he had to deal with. So in verse 2, Paul reminds the Corinthians that, that God has a structure because he's a God of structure and order. He's not a God of chaos. And what better place for Paul to start teaching God's structure than in the family unit because that's something that all of them were familiar with. Now, FYI, every time I preach this, every time I preach through this section, somebody gets all offended at me. Okay, but before you get all bent out of shape, let me preach all these in their entirety because I think once you hear all these verses in their entirety, you'll see that these verses don't devalue anyone. So that's just a, throwing that in for free. So Paul listed three relationships here uh, that require a leader and a subordinate to succeed. Okay, look at 11.3. He says, but there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. I'm in so much trouble in my life. Oh, she's here. Just kidding. Anyway, so the man is under the authority or is subordinate to Jesus. Okay, the man is under authority to or, uh, or uh, subordinate to Jesus. Now, the woman is under the authority of the man or subordinate to the man. Uh, and this is talking about husbands and wives. So a lot of times people get off the reservation right here. This isn't talking that women in general, you know, submit to all men. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a husband and wife relationship. Okay? And I think we often forget that men didn't choose to be the spiritual head of the home. That was not his choice. It was appointed to him. It was appointed to him. Look at this, Genesis 3.17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it, uh, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God said, Listen, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and the, the serpent approached them, Right, they knew they weren't supposed to eat that, and Adam knew they weren't supposed to eat that. But Adam let Eve hand him that, and he ate it. I've said this a million times. I think it's because she was naked, but she handed it to him, and he didn't question. He just ate it, right? And so God was saying, "You had a chance to show me that I meant more to you than any other relationship, because there was only one other relationship to have, unless you include pets, you know." And He's like, "You chose her." over me. You showed no authority when you had the opportunity to do to show authority to support me. So for your curse, you have to be an authority. And because you have to be an authority, I expect the provisions of the home to fall on you. Now people always say women shouldn't work outside of home. That's ridiculous. That's not biblical. Okay, if you read Proverbs 31, that you'll see that that woman was just as important and valuable to that home and irreplaceable as a man was. This is not what he was saying. He was just saying that the ultimate responsibility falls on the husband. He is the one who takes the blame if everything falls apart. So it wasn't a choice. This was part of his punishment. Okay? And if you don't understand that, you've never been in leadership. 
Because if you've ever been in leadership, like in management at work or anything like that, you find out that it makes a lot of problems for you. I mean, everybody thinks because you're in management, you do nothing. They don't realize that you answer for what you do wrong and everything they do wrong, too. You know what I mean? Management is not as easy as you think. So it was a curse that, you know, and he got that because of mankind, we all inherited that because Adam disobedience in the garden. Uh, now, the appointed leadership a husband has carries a great deal of responsibility. And if you look at 1 Timothy 5.8, it kind of explains this. It said, but if anyone, now pay attention to these personal pronouns here. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what he's saying here is God expects husbands to put the lives of their wife and their family above their very own life. If someone has to do without men, it should be you. It should not be your wife. It should not be your, ch- your children. Right? If that unit falls apart, it is your fault. And he's saying the husbands who aren't willing to do that, Paul said they were worse than unbelievers. Because unbelievers act like the world because they don't know better. But if you're not loving like Christ loves, you know what the love of Christ looks like, yet you reject it and love like the world. That's worse than an unbeliever. You knew not to do it and did it anyway. That's what he was saying. Basically, he was saying, you're acting like somebody who's going to hell, not like somebody who's been redeemed. That's what he's telling them, and that's a pretty big plan. Now, we also forget that God appointed the wife to be under the husband's authority. Look at Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your your pain in childbirth, which I think that's kind of exaggerated. No, I'm just kidding. Look at all the women. They're going, you will not make it out of this church alive. 316 says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. <laughs> I got it. This isn't in my outline, but I got to share this with you. A lot of old timers used to think that your desire was talking about sexual desire. <laughs> Just like a man, isn't it? So he's going, Now the Bible says you have to desire me. Well, the Bible didn't tell you to eat 12 helpings every time you. But anyway, it wasn't talking about intimate desire. That's not what it's talking about. The word in the Hebrew means desire for authority, desire for the leadership. So he's saying your desire to be in control, because of that, you, it, that will fall upon your husband, and he will rule over you. Remember, this is in the marriage relationship. Uh, and when I say rule over you, that doesn't mean that there's not, men and women should work together. It's just at the end of the day, they, listen, men, if you don't take your women's advice, your wife's advice, because you think, well, I'm the head of the household, sometimes the best advice you'll get will be from your wife. God will be speaking to you through your wife. Sometimes the worst advice you'll get from from them, you've got to decipher that. But here's the thing. You've got to be praying. It should be like 4951 if it were a company. It's just that the majority stockholder takes the blame when everything goes up, falls apart, right? I think my wife loves that because we talk about something and we pray about it and she goes, that's on you now and walks out of the room. I'm like, hey, hey, oh no, that's your head of the household. Have at it, you know? So that's all that means. That doesn't mean you can walk in and say, woman, wash my shoes and clean my clothes because you might end up having that shoe upside the head. Just telling you. Okay, that's what it's talking about. But the reason God took that authority from her was because she took authority and, and led Adam, which was his fault, but led Adam into sin. But she desired to have God's authority. He said, God knows that the day you eat of this, you will be wise knowing good from evil like him. She wanted to be like God. She sought authority she wasn't supposed to have. So that's how it got passed down to all women because in the garden, she was disobedient uh, toward God. Now, um, I'm going to explain all this to help you grasp the complexity of these appointments 
or these appointed relationships. And it's complex because God's marital leader and subordinate appointments aren't based on how God values the husband and wife. This has nothing to do with God's value of men or women. It has nothing to do with that. And I'll explain that more as we get through up in this message. But the husband and wife, uh, the husband and wife's submission to their appointed authority is an act of obedience to God, and it's an act of faith in God, and it's an act of worship to God. Being a good husband isn't just commanded. Being a good leader, being a good provider isn't just commanded, which it is. It also is a blessing to you, and it shows that you believe God's order, you believe His structure, and that you are submitting yourself to that structure. And so whenever you submit yourself to God's will, it's an act of worship. So it's an act of worship. And when a wife is submissive to her husband, and there again, it means that they talk everything out, but she knows the final call is on him. When she does that, then God blesses her. He blesses her because she's doing it, not because the man is superior. She knows he's not. She's doing that because God asked her to. When I had a woman tell me one time, why should I submit to him? He doesn't deserve it. I said, it has nothing to do with him. And she said, well, that doesn't make any sense. I said, yes, it does. Listen, God asked you to do this, so you do it trusting God's going to do something for you. Listen, God, I've seen him bless many a home because the woman was the godly figure in it and did what God asked her to do, right? The reason when somebody says something that makes you mad, the reason I don't punch them in the nose is not because I'm not afraid. It's not because I'm afraid of them. God told me to be at peace with all men. And so... When someone makes me mad, they're actually the recipient of God's grace because I'm not punching them because of that. Right? That's a pretty rough example, but I think you get the picture. Right? So it's really, really important you understand that it has nothing to do with how God values the husband or the wife. It has nothing to do with that because God did not favor men over women or women over men. They are both equal in position as believers and individuals in the eyes of God. You're not going to get a break because you're a woman. You're not going to get more than you deserve because you're a man or vice versa. That's not what this is about. So I just want to get that out of the way. So God assigns leadership and subordinate relationships because He wants structure in our lives. God wants structure in our lives. He wants to keep us from chaos because those who don't have structure are doomed to utter chaos. And the lives of the Corinthians prove that. Have you ever looked at some of these third world nations that are in chaos because they've, uh, you know, they've ousted their leader and this person wants control and this faction wants control? And so they spend the next 30 years in civil war dying, scraping, everybody starving, children suffering, because there's no structure. It's better to have any structure than none, right? So that's why God appointed those relationships. Now let's move on, verse 4. It says, A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. And I'll explain that here in a minute. But what Paul was talking about in verses 4 through 10, what he's going to talk about, has a lot to do with the culture of that time. It has a lot to do with the culture, and I'll explain that. But before I get into that, when he said that they're not to be prophesying, men can't prophesy with their heads covered. Women can't prophesy with their heads uncovered at this time. And the word prophesying there is from the Greek word prophetio. And prophetio means to speak divine or inspired utterances. Okay, so when you share the word of God, man or woman, when you share the word of God with someone, that is a form of prophecy because you are sharing divine or inspired utterances. So prophecy isn't always about preaching or evangelizing. It's about sharing inspired utterances of truth. That's what it's about. But because Paul used that word, he used that word prophecy, we know that he's mainly discussing public worship here. Because at that time, people would be asked to get up and read in front of the crowd in the, in the uh, synagogue. 
right? And a man that got up, the Jews actually told them to cover their heads. But that's not what God wanted. That's another one of the religious things they picked up. That's not what they wanted. A man was not to stand up and read. And if a woman were to stand up and read, she wasn't to stand up and read without being covered. Okay? It's really, really important. But we know it's talking about in worship. So despite being cultural, I want you to understand there are aspects of what Paul's teaching here about creation authority that are timeless. Now, some of the things he's talking about here pertain to his time, but some of them are still are timeless, and, and they still have a, a huge uh, role in our, in our society today, and I'll explain that when we move on. But the head coverings that Paul discussed symbolized two things in their culture. The head covering for a woman, I mean, it meant two things in that culture. First, it symbolized that a woman had been married, and that she accepted her husband as a spiritual leader. And the second thing it meant to that culture, it symbolized that a woman trusted and accepted God's will for her structure in her life, her position. That's what, that head covering, when someone saw that, they understood that she knew those two things. And women knew that if they covered their heads, they could safely go anywhere and receive society's admiration and society's respect. Because they'd say, there's a godly woman who, who's respectful and understands what God wants of her. So they knew it would bring admiration, it would bring respect. But... They also knew that if they didn't wear that head covering, they would run the risk of having the public shame them and, uh, and having ridicule from the public. They'd run into those things if they didn't wear that because that's how strong their, their culture believed in that. So in verses 5 and 6, Paul kind of explains more about this culture's view of head coverings. Look at this. Because he introduced another cultural mindset about women and their hair. Verse 5 says, But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesied without a covering on her head, uh, for this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or to have her head shaved, she should wear a covering. I just got to ask, has anyone ever been a part of a church that took that too literally and thought that women could never cut their hair? Anybody? I, I was, right? Or that men couldn't have long hair? Let me tell you what, son. If I could have it, I'd have it. Just, you know, I'd bring that mullet back in a heartbeat. Anyway. I would. When you don't have it, you miss it, brother. Trust me. All right? But what Paul said about women cutting their hair or shaving their hair, uh, shaving their head, often confuses people. And it not only confuses people, it's confused some church's doctrine. Because some read this and believe that it means a woman should never cut her hair, and if they do, they sin. Okay? And that is not what it's saying. And the same people in denominations who believe that also believe that if a man has long hair, he sins. There are some denominations that have even put length limits <laughs> how stupid is that Lord you better not get stranded on a desert island you are going to hell man I mean think about this they would say if it touches the ear and the collar it's not godly like God's going oh 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 oh, oh. I was going to let you in until I saw the shag on your collar you're out of here you know that some actually take it that far and some even believe that men have to have short hair and we're going to look at all that more as we move on because there's a lot more to that but that interpretation is a gross misrepresentation of what Paul was actually trying to teach. Okay, he was simply comparing the culture's criteria for the difference between a respectable and godly woman and a woman of questionable character and godliness or godlessness. So likewise, he was comparing the culture's criteria for the difference between a respectable and godly man and a man of poor character. So he was saying, here's how you distinguish between someone who's trying to do right, right and someone who's not trying to do right. That's all this was about. It wasn't really about the hair. It wasn't really about that, and I'll explain that. Okay, see, some of those women of poor character wanted to reject all authority. They didn't want to receive anyone as being an authority over them. They were rebellious. So they would willfully reject their head covers. 
They would not wear them in public. And many of those same women who rejected head covers were also prostitutes. Okay, and I'll explain that. They were also prostitutes. Because prostitutes at that time were known for cutting their hair really short or shaving it. And people would say, why? Because they wanted a cute hairstyle? No, it wasn't that. They wanted the people who were visiting that town or their prospective customers to know who the prostitutes were right away. So they would know who to go to if they were looking for a prostitute. It was a sign of a prostitute, right? So that's why they did that. They would shave their heads or cut their hair really short. Uh, now, if a woman got caught in adultery in some cultures then and now, even, even up into the, the 40s, if some women were caught in adultery, some cultures would shave their head to show people that they were immoral. So it's that concept kind of lived past that day, unfortunately. So Paul was simply warning women, listen, if you're thinking about rejecting the head covering, and especially during public worship, there's going to be serious consequences with the people. There's going to be serious consequences, especially in this culture. And because the statement that that made, seeing them take that off willingly, was twofold, and both was negative, the statement it made. First, it was a sign of great disrespect to their husbands and God's divine order. And second, they ran the risk of being viewed as a prostitute by doing that. They knew that was what the culture thought, and they ran the risk of being seen as a prostitute, at the bare minimum, a woman with questionable character. Now, in our culture, it's hard. I was trying to think of ways to compare this to our culture. There's so many things we do that I could compare this to. But uh, in our culture, it would be like a woman taking her wedding ring off to go clubbing in that little tight dress. You know, it's, why were you taking your wedding ring off? And why are you going out? You know what I mean? And so a lot of, they might claim to be a godly woman and a dedicated believer, but those actions might make some people question. If that, you're married. What are you doing here without your wedding ring on? You see, I mean, that's, that's simplistic, but it's the uh, best I can do on short timing. So I'll, yeah, I'll try to do better next time. But anyway, that's what it'd be like. So next, Paul warned the men about their behavior in public worship. Look at verses 7 to 10. It says, for a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. Underscore that if you're following along. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. There's a lot there. Okay? Okay, it was customary for Jewish men to try to pray with their heads covered, which was not supposed to be that wasn't supposed to be. And Paul was saying that's wrong because they were seen as the image of God. Man was seen as the image of God, and I'll explain why here in a minute. So they were only supposed to be covered by God above. He was considered their covering because they were supposed to be the image of God. And that probably came from their understanding of, chap of Genesis chapter 1. If you look at verse 26, he said, Then God said, Let us, notice he says us, I'm going to throw this in, the Trinity was present at creation. Let us, Make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in what? His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Now, because they read that as he was created in God's image, that culture felt like, why would you cover the image of God? So if a man would cover his head... Paul was saying, people may think that you're rejecting God as your cover. You're blocking God as being your cover. So they saw it as a sign of rejecting or not acknowledging God. 
And the only way I can find an equivalent to that in today's culture would be a man who refuses to go to church or acknowledge that God exists. That's what it would be like in our culture. Now, notice Paul also said that they should do this because of the angels. Now, if you start studying this out, be careful. Because there are a lot of wackos out there with some wacko theories about this stuff. Okay? Uh, there's some theories out there that this is talking about angels lusting over females from humanity. Not so. That is not the case. That is what we like to call insane. Okay? That's not what this is talking about. Uh, when he said because of the angels, if you read through the Bible, and I didn't put all the scripture references down because for time's sake, but if you read throughout the scriptures, time and time again, the Bible talks about angels watching humanity with this insatiable curiosity. The angels are a totally different creation. They're not fat babies in diapers flying around with bows and arrows. That's not true, right? They're not all the things you see in all the paintings. That's not what angels are. They're a totally different creation. Now, God allowed them to manifest as humans so that we wouldn't run horrified of them when we saw them. Um, if you don't believe that, read the description of the seraphim, which is another angel in the scriptures. But the Bible tells us that, see, they didn't have the opportunity to be redeemed because the ones that didn't fall had no reason to be redeemed. So they had this, this intense curiosity about humanity and how humanity works. And there's a lot of scriptures that tell us they're present during our worship. They're all around us, you know what I mean? And so um, he was saying, you know, the angels are watching because they accepted that back then very easily. He was saying the angels are watching to see if you honor God like they do. They're paying attention. All right, that's basically what he was saying to them. See, believers don't always have to keep human traditions. Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that you have to keep all these things because they're traditions, right? Because, think about it, Paul was saying all these things because to disregard these traditions would be reckless. It would make them appear to be godless, uh, I mean, godless people. And he's saying, respect these traditions so that they can strengthen your ministry. Today, I'm not telling you that you have to do what everybody thinks you should do. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if I have to not wear shorts to someone I'm meeting with in order to witness to them, I'll wear pants. If they want me to wear long sleeve shirts in order to hear me out, I'll wear a long sleeve shirt. Now, am I going to do it at home? No. Am I going to do it at the golf course? No. That's their problem. But if I'm going to be around them and I want to witness to them, I'm going to follow their traditions because I want to have a door open to them. By rejecting their traditions and their presence, sometimes you slam the door in their face. So that's basically why he was talking about that. And in this culture, if you didn't regard these traditions as sacred, they would just, I mean, completely ignore you. Worse than that, they'd bash you. Okay, now... The last part I titled this, this section, uh, Different Position but Equal in Value, because this is how Paul kind of balances this out. Most people never get to this, because they get too mad before they understand. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 16, he says, But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. You know what he's saying there? You need each other. Okay, husbands and wives need each other. Remember, God said the two become one flesh. So... When a husband and wife are married, to pull one out of that relationship makes you less. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I have a hard time being away from my family. I hear guys all the time saying, yeah, I need some man time where I can be away from my wife for a week. I can't do that. You know, I go on sabbatical. My wife sometimes says, why don't you go spend a week here? Because she has no problem being away from me. <laughs> but, but I can't do that. Because all I do is miss my kids and I miss my wife. So when I go on sabbatical, I like to have my alone time sitting out back and studying and, and preparing. But... I like to know that my wife's there because I don't feel complete if she's not with me. You know what I mean? It's the same thing here. He's saying you guys need each other. You were created to be a part of each other. Okay, one doesn't exist without the other in marriage. Verse 12, 
For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. Judge for yourself. Hold on, let me go back there. You know what he's saying in verse 12? Let's read this again. It says, For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. He was saying, Okay, you like to say the argument that you took my rib? I've heard people before say, If she doesn't stop it, I'm going to ask my rib back. You know, I've heard people make that joke. And I'm like, that's funny. You know, we gave them a rib and they gave us society. They gave us everything else that exists. Because if there were no women, there would be no babies. And guess what? Without babies, there's no people. Because historic, it's not real. Just saying. Okay, verse 13. It says, judge for yourselves. It is, is it right for a woman to pray to God in, a public, uh, in public without covering her head? He's talking about their traditions. Uh, isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? Verse 15, and isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy, for it has been given to her as a covering? But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other customs than this, and neither do God's other churches. So right at the end, he tells us it was customs. So in verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul reminds that creation authority doesn't devalue women. He says, as a matter of fact, we need each other, and without them, society would cease to exist. So basically saying, men, don't get so full of yourselves, just try having kids without them. Right? Basically what he's saying. Right? And remember, if you think about it, God didn't use man at all to bring Jesus. Man had no part in it. Just the woman. So before you start getting too up in yourself, remember, God didn't choose men to bring the Savior of the world here. He chose women. Alright? So it's very important that you understand that. Now, for some reason, when people hear about this creation authority, like I said earlier, they've all been out of shape, mainly because they make, you know, false assumptions, right? When in reality, there's nothing about creation that demeans either sex. There's nothing about it that demeans either sex, right? And I don't understand this, why we have such a struggle in marriages with authority and, and with these, these type of issues, because for any business or culture or organization to succeed, there must be leaders and there must be subordinates. It has to happen. You ever heard the old saying, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Yeah, I mean, there has to be leaders, and there has to be subordinates. That's the way it has to be. And people say, I don't accept that. And I say, yes, you do. And let me explain. People accept it in other arenas, just not spiritually. Okay, when you get a job, do you hire in expecting to be CEO, the top dog? And you go in and apply, say, yeah, I'm applying to run the place. You good with that? I want to be in charge of everything. You know that's not going to happen. When you apply for a job, you accept the fact that you are going to be a subordinate to someone. You're going to be under someone's authority. But for some reason, since you're not going to be the CEO, it's okay to be subordinate as long as you're getting profit from it. So all of a sudden, we drop our fear of being a subordinate when we're getting paid, right? But we have no problem with being a subordinate when it's about making a living. Well, let me remind you, there is great profit in being obedient to God's word. Greater profit than you'll ever get on a paycheck. And God set things up the way he did because he knew it was for our own good. And he's trying to direct us on the simplest path back to him. And if I'm going to trust any plan, it's going to be the plan and structure and order of the creator of everything that exists. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him over anyone else. I just think it's ironic that when I say, you know, God wants this person to be submissive to that person, people get all up in arms and I say, listen, I'm going to give you a job that pays $35 an hour, but you're going to be under the authority of those five people. You're like, sign me up. You know, we know that there are subordinates and leaders. That relationship has to happen. So why do we have such a problem with it when it comes to spiritual things? Because those people who can lay down their pride and accept authority appointed over them, 
they're always going to fare better than those people who constantly butt authority. Right? Now, some people go overboard respecting authority. I keep telling Kevin he doesn't have to call me your excellency. But I can't get him to stop, so I, whatever, I guess. I'll have to live with it. But as I said earlier, you know, the criteria for head coverings that Paul wrote about was cultural. And as I also said earlier that, you know, men praying and prophesying with their heads covered or uncovered, that was cultural. So when Paul talked about men not having long hair, let me explain that. I've heard this quoted my whole life. If somebody had long hair, had a mullet, whatever, rock stars, they shouldn't have long hair. The Bible tells you it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Listen, every culture has a way to define the genders. Did you know that? And no matter what society thinks or what they like about this, I don't care. Since the creation of the world, there has always been a separation of the genders, and there's always been a way to identify each. Always. People say, oh, they all wore robes back then. Men did not wear women's robes back then. I'm sorry. They didn't. Okay? They were different. There was always a way to tell the difference. So when it said it's obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair, he wasn't saying, I mean, John the Baptist had long hair. Jesus had long hair. What he was saying, notice he didn't give a specific link. If it was really about a rule, he would have given you a link. Like when they would say you can't work on the Sabbath day, they told you how many steps you could take on the Sabbath and not be considered work. Okay? So if this were something about literally the length of hair, they would have told you how long you could have it. That's not what it was talking about. He didn't care about the length of your hair. Every culture has a standard of what a man should look like and what a woman should look like to represent their gender. So Paul was simply saying that it's a shame in their culture for a man to try to look like a woman or a woman to try to look like a man. That's what he was saying. That's all the hair thing was about. Because remember, like I said, Jesus, John the Baptist, all of them had long hair. That's not what he was talking about. He was saying when a man tries to look like a woman or a woman tries to look like a man, it's unacceptable. Right? He's saying that was a shame. So it's just simply a reminder that God has a creative order, and that's how he wants it done, and that when you function that way, there's no chaos. So here's the thing. I'm going to tell you before I close. I'm going to stop there. But before I close, I'm going to tell you, if we don't start paying more attention to God's order and structure in our society, we're in trouble. When I was reading this, I was thinking about all the things that have changed just in my short lifespan. Right? A lot of things have changed. And when I look back, I don't think they've changed for the better, to be honest with you. But people are slowly but surely rejecting all the things God said were good and replacing them with everything we think is good. And look around you. Here's what happens when you rebel against God's order. So Paul was trying to keep that from happening to the Corinthians. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to ask you what to please bow your head. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. So while every head is bowed, if you're not sure where you stand with God or you just need prayer, I don't need to know. But I want to pray for you, and I do. If you just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down, bless those people. Bless those people. I'll be praying for you, and I will. Bless those people. Bless those people. And if you're watching or listening online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. But believers, when we read things like this, when we study things about how important it is to follow God's plan, His outline for our life, we have the benefit of seeing what happens when these people did and what happens when these people did not. So normal, intelligent people should look in there and say, gosh, the people who follow God's order had much better quality of life and were able to reach a lot more people. We have got to realize that God's structure is not to restrain us, but to help us set others free. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness, especially for your grace. I'm so thankful that it's not about us. It's not about what we can do and how good we are. It's all about you. 
No matter who we are or what we've done, if we can believe what Jesus did was enough to guarantee our eternal life, you have promised to give it to us. Because you knew we could never do it on our own. God, I thank you that you made it that easy. And if there's someone who doesn't know you, I pray whatever's holding them back, just wipe it out of their mind and remind them that you are waiting for that embrace. And if they will, you never say no. And for those of us who are believers, God, it's so easy to just move on with the times, accept what the world tells us to accept. But God, give us the discernment to not accept anything that puts us at odds with you. Give us the presence of mind to know your structure and trust in it so that you can bless us and use us the way you want to. We want to enlarge the borders of your kingdom, Lord, and we know that's only going to happen when we follow your plan. Give us a heart to do that. And we just pray as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you the praise, honor, and glory for your Lord. And that's the truth in Jesus.